0: right, I wanted to spend just a minute and introduce our guest speaker, and I was a tad bit nervous when I saw him get up and head for the door. But Joshua came to me and said it was a battery change, which I can only assume is done since he's back in his seat. I saw James leave too. I thought maybe he was going to preach. I thought there was just a changing of the guard. We're good. And then part of me was thinking... Uh, when I had a chance to meet with uh, Ben and Olivia last night, I kind of joked. I said, boy, I'm going to give you an introduction you'll never forget. And I broke into something like, at six foot two, 235 pounds, out of Cincinnati Christian. And I thought for a second he thought it was true, and he was just going to come bursting through the doors when I said that. But no, it was a battery. So, But anyway, I'm, I'm excited to have uh, Ben Halliburton here with us this morning. He's joined uh, by his wife, Olivia, and their son, Jabin. He's a graduate of Cincinnati Christian College, and he has been employed for the last uh, three years as a youth and family pastor at Batesville Christian Church. So please uh, join me in welcoming Ben. Thank you.
1: By the way, I was actually trying to leave, but they caught me before I could get out. So uh, I made a run for it, but it didn't work.
0: Uh, Like Craig said... Uh, my name's Ben. I'm from Batesville, Indiana. And if you don't know anything about Batesville,
1: that might be a good thing. Uh, because there are two things that Batesville is known for. That's right. One of, them, one of them is hospital beds, and the other one is caskets. And so if you haven't heard of Batesville, that might be a good thing, because that means that you haven't been sick and you haven't been dying. So that's, that's a plus. But uh, it's a small town of only about 7,000 people. It's about halfway between Cincinnati and Indianapolis, so it's a great place to be. We love our church. It's a growing church, uh, both spiritually and numerically. But at the same time, we're honored to be here. I'm honored that the elders invited me to come preach for you this morning.
0: And I want to start out with
1: a story. Once upon a time, there were three seeds,
0: Ken, Frank, and Carl. And these seeds have
1: no relation to anyone here named Ken, Frank, or Carl.
0: But these three brothers, they'd grown up together,
1: and they came from the same parent tree, and they were all so excited about what the future held for them. And one day came, and they found themselves in the hands of a sower. And they were so excited, thinking, you know what? This is the day that my dream starts. This is the day that I get planted, I get thrown on the ground. And so they were talking about their dreams, and Ken said, you know, I hope I end up falling on healthy soil, that way I can grow tall and strong, and I want to be big enough to where kids can hang a tire, tree, a tire swing from my branches and swing on me for years to come. And Frank said, you know, I hope I end up falling on healthy soil, that way I can grow tall and strong, and then I can have families come have picnics underneath my branches, then Carl said, you know, I hope I end up falling on healthy soil. That way I can grow tall and strong and people can climb and sit on my branches and watch the sunset together. And all three of them were talking about their dreams. And as they're having this conversation, they get dropped by the sower. And they're all looking to see where they're going to land. And immediately things did not look good for Ken.
0: Ken, he fell right in the middle of a path.
1: And he knew right away, okay, I'm done for. I got no chance. And Frank and Carl knew the same thing. And before Ken knew it, he was picked up by a bird, and he was taken away, never to be heard from again. Now, Frank, he didn't fall on the best soil. It wasn't ideal, but, I mean, he wasn't going to complain after what he saw happen to Ken. And so, Frank, his soil was pretty rocky. It wasn't very deep. It wasn't the best soil that you want to land in. But he decided, okay, you know what? After what happened to Ken, I'm going to make the best of it. I'm going to lay my roots, I'm going to grow, and I'm going to fulfill that dream. And I'm going to have kids swing on on a tire swing, just like I always thought they would. But Carl, Carl was the lucky one, because Carl fell on healthy soil, it was deep, had lots of nutrients, easy access to water. And so Carl thought, you know what, there's a really great chance that I'm going to be able to fulfill that dream, that I'm going to be able to grow tall and strong, and that people are going to sit on my branches and watch the sunset. Well... A year passed, and it was a pretty hot summer. And I mean, there hadn't been very much rain at all. It was very dry. Ken was long gone, but Frank and Carl, they've been doing pretty well so far. They've been growing. They've been healthy. But all of a sudden, Frank started to wither because that soil that he landed in, that rocky, shallow soil, didn't provide the nutrients he needed. He didn't have the strong roots that he needed in order to last through that drought, through the heat, through the sun beating down on him. And so Frank withered away. But Carl, he was fine. He had no trouble whatsoever during that summer. His soil was still healthy. His roots were deep enough to where he could reach all that water that was way down deep. And so he survived the one out of the three that was able to grow tall and strong and bear fruit. So what's the moral of the story? Well, the determining factor for a plant's health, the biggest factor... And the health of a plant or a tree is the health of its roots. That's the reason why Carl survived, because he had the healthy roots. He had the good soil. His roots were deep. He was able to withstand that drought. And so he survived. The health of the roots is what determines the future of a plant. And the same thing goes for us as followers of Christ. There are a lot of things that need to fall into place for us to grow as followers of Christ, but by far the biggest factor is how healthy are our roots? What are we rooted in? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. What are we rooted in individually? What are we rooted in as a church? How are we going to bear fruit individually? How are we going to bear fruit as a church? It all comes back to our roots.
0: Starting out in Matthew chapter 12, if you notice
1: in the the bulletin, there's a small outline there. I'm old-fashioned. I didn't use a PowerPoint, I know. But feel free to follow along in the bulletin insert. And I'm going to start reading out of Matthew chapter 12, verse 33. Matthew chapter 12, verse 33. Jesus says, Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. Jesus, at this point, is confronting these religious leaders, these guys who are supposed to be the examples for God's people. They're supposed to get it. They're supposed to understand what to teach. They're supposed to understand what to practice. These were the guys who knew God better than anyone else. And yet Jesus is very confrontational in this passage. He's calling them out and he's saying saying some things that are pretty offensive to these guys. And, you know, I'm no farmer, even though I'm from Batesville. I'm no farmer, but I think Jesus is saying his basic idea is that healthy trees bear healthy fruit and that unhealthy trees bear unhealthy fruit. Okay, that seems to make sense so far. And the thing is, a tree's roots determine the health, and a tree's roots determine whether or not the fruit is going to be healthy. If it's got healthy roots, it's got healthy fruit. If it's got unhealthy roots, it's going to have unhealthy fruit. And as followers of Christ, we need to be rooted in him if we're going to bear fruit. We need to be rooted in him as a church. You know, churches are so often tempted to totally base their ability to bear fruit on having the biggest building. Or having the right minister. Or having the biggest budget. Or being in touch with the latest ministry fad. And those things don't bear fruit long term.
0: They might work for a little
1: while. There might be a little bit of fruit that comes. But what about when the drought comes? What about when it's hot? Fruit is not going to be born in that way. And the only way a church that can bear fruit that's going to last, that's going to make it through those hot summers, is if they're rooted in Christ himself. And a church with good roots is one that knows that it needs to remain in Christ. Because healthy churches stay rooted in him and their teaching. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 2, "For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified." Churches that lose focus on preaching and teaching Christ consistently, they'll die. It might not be obvious right away. It might not be an overnight thing, but slowly and surely they will die. This was seen in what was called the social gospel movement of years past. The social gospel movement was basically churches that felt that they needed to take a bigger stance when it comes to defending the oppressed, helping the poor, the widow, the orphan. And that's all great stuff. And the church needs to speak out on those issues. And the church needs to have a voice on those issues. But if we aren't doing it alongside preaching and teaching Christ, we're totally missing the point. We're not accomplishing our mission. If we're not pairing it with the gospel of Christ,
0: the gospel that Christ lived and he died and he rose from the
1: grave just the way scripture said he would, that he did it for us, he did it for our sins, no matter where we're coming from. That's what a church needs to be rooted in. Teaching and preaching Christ is a must if a church is going to bear fruit, if a church is going to grow. You know, I've often heard preachers talk about how they're criticized by some people in their congregation because. They're, you know, they, they, the congregation claims that they only talk about the same stuff every single week. And some preachers are like, oh, man, I've got to change up my sermons. I've got to start you know, getting some variety in there. And then some ministers are like, you know what? That's okay. That's okay that I'm preaching the same thing every week because I'm preaching the gospel. And if you haven't heard the gospel yet, you need to hear it. And if you have heard it, if you're anything like me, you need to keep hearing it every day. That's the boat we find ourselves in. And a church that bears fruit is one that realizes that and bears fruit because they don't neglect it. But teaching and preaching, that's not it. That's not all a church does. A church needs to be rooted in Christ in practice. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, What kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. And there's one phrase that I want you to notice in that passage. Paul is talking to Timothy, this young leader of this church, trying to give Timothy a vision for what his church should look like. And Paul's saying, Hey, Timothy, you know what? You've seen Christ in the way I preach, you've seen Christ in the way I teach. But not just that, you've seen Christ in my way of life. The challenge that every single church has is are we showing Christ? Are we showing that we are rooted in Christ not just through what we preach and through what we teach and what we say, but in what we do? How do we handle disagreements? How do we handle controversy? How do we handle successes and failures?
0: Those are the things that show people whether or not we're rooted in Christ, no matter what
1: we teach and what we preach. That's what truly speaks to people, putting our money where our mouth is. And do we effectively communicate Christ as a church with our practice as well as we do with our teaching? That's the big question. And, you know, there's so many churches out there. It seems like there's two extremes. In churches, there's one extreme where churches spend so much time on preaching and teaching that they don't even know how to apply what they're preaching and teaching. They don't get practice. And you got some churches that focus so much on practice that they have no clue what they should be preaching and teaching. And a church that bears fruit is a church that's not going to neglect either area. And that's what this church needs to be. That's what every church needs to be. If this church is going to bear fruit, if any church is going to bear fruit for Christ, they can't neglect preaching and they can't neglect practice. They're both vital to the mission of that church. And, you know, the way that churches do that, the way that churches are able to look at that and accomplish that is by looking at Christ as their example. Because what's amazing about Jesus's ministry is that all throughout his ministry, he definitely said some controversial things. He said some tough stuff. He taught on difficult topics. But he also loved people. And he served people. He met people where they were. He showed value to every single person he came into contact with. And he's our example. He had that perfect balance of preaching and teaching when he needed to, saying what needed to be said, but also living out love and living out service and selflessness and sacrifice And that's the goal that we should have in every church. Living out the way Jesus lived in what we say and in what we do. So how does a church stay rooted in Christ? Well, a church that's rooted in Christ is full of individuals that are rooted in Christ. It's full of individuals. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Do we reflect Christ with our words individually? That's a tough question. Do we show that we're rooted in Christ in the way that we speak about that annoying coworker, Or what about the family member who's the constant source of stress and frustration and worry?
0: Me personally, do I reflect Christ when
1: people cut me off on the interstate and my words that I say? <laughs> I don't know. That's the question we have to ask ourselves. Do we reflect Christ in our words that we put up on Facebook? You know, recently, one of the most difficult parts of the election season is just the anger and the division that happens because one people like this guy, some people like that guy, and it just causes so much division and so many insults are thrown, so much bad blood is caused because people can't agree on it. And yet, those are the types of things that we need to reflect Christ in, in our words. Whether our side won or lost, reflect Christ in our words with the way that we handle it. On Facebook, in person, everywhere we go. But we need to be rooted in Christ in our words, but also in our actions. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus calls his audience and he brings up all these actions that they were used to. Talks about all these things that they understood, they've been taught for a while, they got it, it wasn't anything really new. But then he takes these actions and he totally flips them on their head. And he says, Hey, you've been doing this, well now do this. You've been taught this, well now I'm teaching you this. And if you were in that original audience, the things that Jesus was saying were scandalous. How could he possibly say these things? How could he possibly say what he says about adultery? How can he possibly say what he says about anger? What about divorce? Oaths? Refusing to retaliate against enemies and instead choosing to love them? What is that supposed to mean? What about giving? Praying? Fasting? Materialism?
0: Money? Worry? Judging?
1: All across the board, Jesus takes these actions and he totally flips them on their head. And it's just as scandalous to us as it was to them. Because we look at those actions... And we say, you know what? That all sounds really nice. That's cute, but that's just not how the world works.
0: The world doesn't work so that I can love
1: my enemies. Sounds like a nice theory, but just it won't work. It isn't practical. And here's the thing being rooted in Christ and our actions was never meant to be practical, it's never meant to be easy or practical. People who are rooted in Christ in their words and in their actions aren't very practical people. They're not very practical people. There's a girl that I graduated from Cincinnati Christian University with named Marquetta. And most of us, when we graduated, you know, we all went our separate ways. And some of us went to churches and some of us went to become missionaries. And we were all excited to see where everyone was going. And I remember some people talked to Marquetta and they said, hey, Marquetta, you know, where are you going after you graduate? What are you going to do after this now that you're done with school? And she said, you know, I think I'm going to stay here. You're going to stay in this community and ccu is located in a pretty rough community it's a community that has a lot of crime it's very poor and a lot of people were looking at Marquetta saying why would you want to stay here you know i mean you could get hired at churches you could become a missionary in this country or that country why would you want to stay in price hill where cincinnati christian university is located and marquette said you know what I want to start a ministry. There's an abandoned church that I've been able to get a hold of their building, and somehow she pulled some strings and got this building. And she said, you know, I'm going to start this ministry, and I've got two goals in this ministry. Goal number one is I'm going to preach and teach Christ to prostitutes who live in the community. And goal number two is I'm going to try and get them out of this ring, try and get them out of this lifestyle to so where they're not having to do this in order to support themselves and their families. And Marquetta. She ended up discipling this woman. She got a hold of this woman and was, you know, starting to get to know her and loving her and serving her and trying to reach out to her. And she found out that this prostitute she'd been working with was pregnant. And this woman had no idea what she was going to do. She didn't know who the father was. She didn't have the means to support a baby. She didn't have the living conditions a baby needed in order to grow up healthy and, and uh, you know, be a good person and be the kind of person that she would want this baby to be. And so she thought, you know what, my only option is I'm going to get an abortion. That's my, that's my only option. That's all I can do. I don't want to, but hey, what else can I do? And Marquetta, just like myself, she's very pro-life in the sense that she believes that scripture teaches that every single human life is valuable. Every single human life is created in the image of God. But the thing is, Marquetta wasn't okay with just saying that. She wasn't okay with just going to the woman and saying with her words, hey, you know, every life is valuable. Every life's created in the image of God. She took it one step farther. She was rooted in Christ in her words, but she was rooted in Christ in her actions because a 23 year old girl invited a pregnant prostitute to move in with her because that was the only way that she could convince this woman to not get an abortion. That is not practical in any sense at all. But that's what Marquetta did, because that's what she felt she needed to do in order to be rooted in Christ in her words and in her actions. When we're rooted in Christ in those ways, we're going to be doing some pretty impractical things, some pretty wild stuff. And we may never find ourselves in the same exact position as Marquetta, but we're going to be called to do some things that seem a little bit risky that aren't practical and are we going to do them you know jesus takes it one step farther you know you look at all this stuff and you know being rooted in christ and teaching and preaching and practice and words and actions and you think you know what that sounds pretty pretty easy for the most part pretty simple i mean people that are rooted in christ they say the right things and they do the right things and churches that are rooted in christ they teach the right things and practice the right things i mean it sounds pretty simple right well it's not that simple because if you really absolutely have to, it's not that hard to say the right things and do the right things. It's not that difficult to put on an act if you have to. It's, it's kind of hard to keep it up for a long time, but I mean, it can be done. You can say the right things and do the right things, but what you can't fake is having the right heart behind them. That's what you can't do. That's what we can't do on our own. And that's what Jesus addresses as he moves it on further in this passage, starting in verses 34 and 35 of Matthew chapter 12. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. You know, Jesus is talking to these religious leaders, and he's saying, you know what, ultimately your words can sound nice. You can say all the right things. You can do all the right things. But if the heart behind those words, if the heart behind those actions isn't in the same place, what are your words accomplishing? Your words are useless. You can say whatever you want. It can sound nice, but if your heart's not in the right place, if you're not right on the inside, your words don't matter. And that's the second point. In order to bear fruit as followers of Christ, we must have changed hearts because we can't do this on our own. We can't bear fruit on our own individually or as a church. We can't do it alone. In the book of John, on the night he's arrested, Jesus takes just this huge conversation and addresses how his disciples need the spirit if they're going to grow, if they're going to accomplish the mission that he's giving them, if they're going to bear fruit, he says, you've got to have the spirit that I'm going to send to you. He's going to help you. He's going to guide you. That's why he's coming. And, you know, as we look at ourselves, we're in the same boat. We can't do it on our own because looking like followers of Christ on the outside does us no good if we're not guided by the spirit on the inside. If the Spirit is not what shapes our heart. And the first step to that is by placing your faith in Him. And you know, that may sound simple, but I think it's often forgotten that people who don't place their faith in Christ, people who are not following Christ, are not going to bear fruit for Him. After the election, a prominent theologian, president of a big seminary, he wrote an article and he was mourning some of the decisions that had been made in separate states about marriage, about drug use, about assisted suicide, those types of things. And he wrote this in his article.
0: Clearly, we face a new moral landscape
1: in America and a huge challenge to those of us who care passionately about these issues. We face a worldview challenge that is far greater than any political challenge, as we must learn how to winsomely convince Americans to share our moral convictions about marriage, sex, the sanctity of life, and a range of moral issues. This will not be easy. It is, however, an urgent call to action. And, you know, I understand what this guy's saying. I understand his concerns. I understand that he might be concerned about the moral direction that our country is taking, and rightfully so. But his statement is incomplete because winsomely convincing people to share our moral convictions doesn't accomplish our mission as a church. Any church.
0: It's not just about getting people to buy into a
1: system of values. It's not about getting people to buy into a system of ethics. It's not about convincing people to say the right things and do the right things. It's about introducing people to Christ himself. Getting people to buy into Christ not a system of ethics. And that's what the Spirit's there for. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verses 12 and 13, about the presence of the Spirit, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, It is not to the flesh to live according to it, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. You know, it sounds like what Paul is saying, all right, you know, you just got to stop some bad habits and start some good habits and put these bad misdeeds to death. Right. Well, he doesn't say put these misdeeds to death by trying really hard. He doesn't say put these misdeeds to death by having a really strong willpower. He doesn't say put these misdeeds to death by quitting cold turkey. He says put these misdeeds to death by the spirit. That's where we put those misdeeds to death It's not just about changing habits or changing actions or training ourselves with a rubber band on our wrists to follow christ It's about being guided by the spirit And that's why we as a church and every single church need to take our mission so much more seriously To make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and the spirit That's what we're called to do And if we are mourning the moral state of America, the solution is not to convince people to do the right thing. The solution is to introduce people to Christ himself. That's the main priority. That's the mission of the church. That's the mission that Christ gave us. And when we do that, that's when hearts are going to be changed. That's when the spirit is going to take over. That's when morals are going to change. Actions are going to change. Values are going to change. But it won't happen until we introduce those people to christ That's step one and that's priority number one for any and every church that wants to bear fruit And that's how we bear fruit as a church by introducing people to christ himself Closing out our passage in matthew chapter 12 jesus says in verses 36 and 37 But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they've spoken For by your words, you will be acquitted And by your words, you'll be condemned. Do you ever say empty words? Do you ever say things that your heart really isn't in, but you're saying them because they're the right thing to say or because it's what you're expected to say? I think we're all guilty of that. So, what hope do we have? If we're supposed to let the Spirit guide us, yet we're still saying these empty words, what hope do we have? How do we have accountability? How how are we able to hold ourselves accountable to mend our roots to make sure that we're bearing fruit? And the good thing, the good news is that God has given us community. That's what community is for. And that brings us to our third and final point, point, that in order to bear fruit, we must be rooted alongside fellow believers. Recently, as I was doing some research for this sermon, I started looking up California redwoods. And I've never been to California. I don't know if any of you guys have. Uh, but I always see those pictures of California redwoods. There's one famous picture of the tree that has the tunnel cut out of it. And there's the car driving through the tree. That's how huge these trees are. And I looked it up, and these trees can easily grow over 300 feet. Like, no problem. Totally common for these trees to be 300 feet tall. And I was looking at that, and I was thinking, okay, this is going to go great with my sermon, because they've got to have really deep, strong roots. And then I started reading, and it turns out they don't have very deep roots at all. And I was just like, oh, great. There goes my illustration. But luckily, I kept reading, and it turns out that these trees are so tall, they have these shallow roots. Then the question becomes okay, well, how do they stay up? How do they stay up when it's windy, when it's stormy? How do they stand tall? And the answer is the reason they're able to stand up is that even though their roots aren't all that deep, they grow close together and their roots intertwine. And that's how they hold one another up, they support one another. And that's what we're called to do in the church as fellow followers of Christ. We're rooted alongside one another so that we can hold each other up. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says that each member of the body of Christ is called to suffer together, rejoice together. And when we surround ourselves with other believers that are rooted in Christ just like we are, that temptation to fall away, that temptation to speak those empty words, that temptation becomes so much less. Because we've got other people who are there speaking wisdom into our lives when we need it, telling us the hard truth when we need it. That's going to help us bear fruit. Holding one another accountable, holding each other up, being in community. Do you have those fellow believers that can hold you accountable? We all need them. Do we have people that we can be honest with? Who that we're not going to get offended when they call us out on something? Because we know they love us and we know that we love them. That's what community looks like. And so, in order to bear fruit as followers of Christ, we've got to be rooted in Him as a church, as individuals, and in what we preach and what we practice and what we say and what we do. But that only comes through the presence of the Spirit. Point number two bearing fruit, we must have changed hearts. And then finally, we need to be in community. And you know, as this Christmas season approaches and we're all stressed out about shopping and getting the right gifts and making sure that everyone has a card. And we're in a situation where we have have a family member that we don't know if we're supposed to buy them something or not. And so our solution is that we're going to buy them a gift card, have it in our back pocket. If they don't have anything for us, we'll be able to keep it and just use it on our own. It's a perfect, perfect solution. And so as we're stressing out about that, just remember the best gift that you can give anyone this Christmas, the best gift that this church can give the community around it, is bearing fruit by introducing people to Christ. That is the best gift you can give your neighbor, your coworker, your friend, your family member, your school, your schoolmate, all that stuff. That's the best gift you can give them individually. And this church, the best gift that it can give the Fishers community, the Noblesville community, Hamilton County, is by preaching the gospel and introducing people to Christ. That's the best gift we can give. That's how we're going to bear fruit as a church, and that's how we're going to bear fruit as individuals taking that mission seriously, making disciples, baptizing people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. That's what bearing fruit looks like. And if we do those three things, I'm totally confident that we'll be able to do it. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your grace. Thank you that in spite of us, you are able to help us bear fruit, you're able to help us grow. And God, I pray that knowing that We must have your spirit living inside of us for that to happen. I pray it humbles us. It reminds us that we're not in this on our own, that we're not just trying hard to be good people and do the right things. God, I pray that we'll bear fruit individually, that we'll love people, that we'll serve people, regardless of how impractical that may be. I pray that we'll be rooted in you. I pray that this church will be rooted in you as they continue to move forward with their mission, trying to accomplish their mission. I pray that the number one priority in all of our lives is making disciples through the way we treat people, through the way we speak about people, and not just with our words, but with our actions. I pray that you'll help us to do that, and I pray that you'll help this church to do that. We love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.